Hello. Yes, hi. I actually wasn't sure if I was supposed to be the scripture reader for today, so I had to like sit and pause and wait to see if anyone else stood up, and then they didn't, so that's how you know it's me. Uh, okay, so today's scripture is Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers your power of anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. I waited to see if anybody else would come up here. <laughs> I'm going to know it's my turn then. We're looking at our... Psalm 90 today. And as we begin looking at this psalm, we're reminded that this is a psalm of lament. Or, uh, and that if you remember last year, we talked uh, about lament being a language that God gives us in order for us to worship Him in places of pain and sorrow, in places of despair, in places where we are troubled. And so lament is given to us by God as a way for us to speak to God, to cry out, and to hear the Spirit testify to our own heart that He is still high and lifted up. And it follows that classic sort of way that a lament psalm would work. It, it says, this is who God is, it's a reminder of who God is, and then it goes into saying who we are, and then it, it, it kind of gives um, uh, that accusation or that here's what the problem is, Lord. The interesting thing about this psalm is he's saying that the problem is both ourselves and you, God. There's a lot of talk in this particular psalm about God's wrath and anger. And that's something that it's hard for us sometimes to put in our head. And then after he talks about that, he then speaks about God as the one who comes. Or he petitions God and says... Please come, reveal yourself, and then establish your works. Do the things that you're going to do, God, by recognizing who God is, that he is high and lifted up. So he goes back to praise, which is how he begins the psalm. 
Just real quickly, I want to touch base just on that idea of God's wrath or anger that comes. In some ways, we can look at it as a consequence or as something that happens because of the sin that is resting in the psalmist's life and in Israel's life, because really he's talking about Israel here. When he says in this uh, passage, he says, for our days uh, pass away under your wrath and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. He talks about our secret sin that is present. That all our lives are trouble. But he talks about the power of God's anger and wrath. And so in some ways we can see it as a consequence, that it is a, a response of a holy, righteous, high and lifted up God to evil that has come into the world. So, so that this wrath or this anger is a consequence that we're receiving because of what we've done. Another way that we could look at it and see it is this is a, a human, flesh and blood, who sees the trouble that is in the world and even the trouble that is in their own life. And in some ways, they're trying to contextualize, trying to figure out and, and give expression and word to what is happening in their life. And in some ways, the only way to explain it or to describe it is that God must be angry with me. God must be full of wrath towards me. And so that's the way that they're expressing it. Now we know in the New Testament, when we look at Paul in Romans, he says that the wrath of God is being revealed because of the evil that is there. And that wrath is not turned towards people, but it is turned towards the evil that is separating people from himself. But the glorious answer to this wrath that we see that the psalmist cries out a lot of times about, and that even Paul mentions in Romans, is that Christ himself actually steps in place of that wrath and says, I will make sure that separation no longer happens. I will come and I will die so that that separation is no longer there. Because God's wrath is not turned towards the individual or towards the people. God's wrath is turned towards the thing that is separating them from him. And so he deals with it in Christ. Now it's important for us to lay that out as we look at this psalm of lament. Because we could talk about kind of what lament looks like and all that, but we've done that in the sermon series, and you can go back and find that. But one of the things that caught my attention as I continued to study this psalm and look at it, a, a place that continued to hit into my heart was the fact that time, or the idea of time, is mentioned so often in this psalm. Time is a valuable thing for us. You can lose time and never gain it back. I've done that a lot by watching terrible shows and movies. Time unlike what the Rolling Stones promise, is not always on our side. Time slips away. It says that time can erase all issues, our problems, but we know that's not true. We get cheesy sometimes with time, right? We, we say, well, you know, yesterday was the past and tomorrow's the future, but today's the present. That's why we receive it as a gift. But in this passage, in this psalm, 
the psalmist brings us to an understanding of time for God and time for us. So when we think of time for God, we just have to look at the first few verses. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever, you, or, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then in verse 4 it says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it passes, or as a watch in the night. So the first thing that we recognize is that for God, time is not linear as we see it. That time is not a construct that we've set forth, that there's 12 months in a year, that there's 30 or 31 days, leap year this year, so 29 in February, don't know if you knew that. That there's 24 hours in a day, that there's 60 minutes in that hour, that there's 60 seconds in every minute, and we just built this sort of thing. God does not see time that way. God is eternal, has always been, always existed that he is everlasting to everlasting, that it is beyond time completely and utterly. And that it's because he is beyond time that he steps in and moves out, that he has his way within it, that when he perceives all of human history, he sees it at one glance, but then the particularness of the things that are happening and where he's involved. He knows that his story is progressing, and we only use the word progressing because it makes sense to us, because we're trapped in a temporal, linear sort of time frame, but we see it progressing, and God knows where it is going because he has had a plan since before. Before what? Well, before. It always has been. So when we come to this and we recognize that God is everlasting on everlasting, our response can be multiple, but let's think about two. One is we can come to that and be frightful. This is the God who knows everything. This is the God who has seen everything. This is the God who knows what will happen before it happens, who knows what happened before it happened. He will always be and always will be beyond any understanding or comprehension. And that can be fearful. That's okay to think that way. It can be fearful. Or, if we continue to go down this psalm and we see where the psalmist begins to interact with this everlasting God, we can have a response that says, this everlasting God, this one who is before time, beyond time, above time, creator of time, the one who holds all things together is the one who also knows me. Now here's the scary thing. How do we know in this psalm that he knows us? Because he tells us, I know your secret sins. Oh, you know all of me. Every bit of me. There's nothing hidden from you. But that should give us courage and should give us grace to know that God, who knows all things, who is above time, beyond time, knows me and knows you. Nothing will surprise him. Nothing is outside of his sight. Nothing takes him off the back foot. When it happens to us and we are shocked or dismayed when we feel like we've fallen and can't get up, then God releases himself in his everlasting, steadfast love to us. So we see a God who is beyond time. 
But we also recognize in this passage that we are trapped in time. That we are in this thing that keeps us bound. We are bound in a way that we have a past, that we have a present, and we have a future. We see that here. The psalmist alludes to it and says that, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. That there are things that have taken place. That before we got to this place, Lord, where I'm writing this psalm, you were still our Lord before then. So there is stuff that went on beforehand. We each and every one of us have a past. We have things that have influenced us and changed us. We have families of origin that give us values and meaning. We have a past of things that have happened to us or things that we have perpetrated on others around us. We have a past where we have learned things, where we have forgotten things. We have a past that we have walked through. And our past, we sometimes allow it to define us and who we are. The psalmist, in a way, is saying, yes, you were this in all generations, but now I recognize that I am something more than this. My encouragement when we think about our past is we cannot allow our past to define us. It can inform us. At the end of this psalm, we see that the past doesn't define them. We see that it informs who they are because they have to cry out to God. Each one of us have things that we feel like we can't let go of. And let me tell you, you might not ever be able to let go of them. Oftentimes you've been hurt and you've heard it said, you need to forgive and forget. As I've looked at Scripture, there's only one person who has the ability to forget. And that's God. It says he forgets our sins as far as the east is from the west. You and I, being trapped in a temporal timeline, aren't given the ability to forget. Those things that have happened to you will always be affecting you. They can inform who you are and how you make decisions, but never let them define who you are. You are not the sum of those activities, the sum of that hurt, the sum of that neglect. You, in fact, are beyond that because you rest firmly in who God has made you to be because he's known you before the foundation of the world. And so we recognize that we all have a past and it informs who we are, but it doesn't define who we are. We also have a present. This right now is your present. You are here today at this moment for whatever reason in Fremantle Church at 217 High Street. You have things that are happening in your life, places that are hurts and places that are celebrations, moments that you are distracted by and moments where you are rock solidly focused on what you think needs to be happening in your life. You right now have a present. And oftentimes it is in that present that we don't want to be known. Because we think about our past and how it defines us, and we think about where we want to be, and we look at ourselves and say, I'm not there yet, so I don't know that I want anybody to know us. We're reminded here that the Father knows us completely, even in our present. Again, he says, I know your secret sins. 
That's not scary. I, I know that sounds scary. But when the God who is outside of all time and space knows you so intimately that he knows your secret sin, that he knows the thing that you harbor within that you don't want anybody else to know about, yet he knows it and still pursues you with his steadfast love. Why do we know that? Well, he tells us here. He calls out, right? And he says to him, uh, teach us to number our days that we may have great wisdom. Have pity on us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Now I know often many of you think that it's a strong cup of coffee that satisfies you in the morning. That is pretty good. But it is God's steadfast love that satisfies us in the morning. It's the fact that in our present, in our moment, when we feel like we have broken away from God, that God every morning comes new to us with His steadfast love. And it's not just every morning, it's every moment of every morning. There's an author who wrote a book that's called The Naked Now. That's very difficult for me to say because sometimes my hickness from Oklahoma comes out and I say naked. But it's naked now. And in it, he talks about the fact that we are in this place, in this time, rooted in something that we don't quite understand. But when we stand there naked, wide open, then we will receive the blessing that God has for us in that moment. That we have to stop putting on the mask and the, the clothes that hide us to who we really are. Because God moves in and says, no, I know who you are. I've known you before, and I'll know you in the future, but I even know you in your present. It's also hard for us to recognize this because troubles come. It feels like God's wrath is upon us in the present. Some of you right now have so much stuff going on in your lives, it is hard to even open your eyes in the morning. In the now, in the present, that's why we have the language of lament. Because we are caught in the in-between, the here and not yet, the now and not yet. And it is in that moment that we cry out to God and we say, where are you? How long? Come now in my presence. He is not unaware. So we have a past, we have a present, and we also have a future a place that is being established. We see that at the very end of this passage where he says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the works of your hands upon us. Yes, establish the works of our hands. That God is working through us. He is moving us to a place that is our future, our hope. Now that future and hope is not in a place. It's not heaven. That future and hope is resting in a relationship in one individual that is Christ. That the new heaven and the new earth will come, but the new heaven and the new earth become the new heaven and new earth because Christ is present in that place. That he is the one that we long to be attached to. And not in some weird, mystical, mythical way where we just kind of all become borgish and like assimilated into Jesus. 
but our unique particularness that he created before the foundation of the world, he brings in and expresses himself completely to us and to others in the future. The future that is just a moment to come. And the future that is to come when Christ comes and makes all things new. That I walk from my present into my future each moment knowing that the works that are being established are the Lord's works. That those places where I step are the the steps that the Lord has set forth for me. And sometimes I may falter and sometimes I'll trip and fall, but the Lord is there to pick me up and raise me to the place where he longs for me to be. And so while it seems like we're temporal and we're not eternal, the reality for those of us who are in Christ is that we are. That we are before and now and beyond. That being in Christ gives us the ability to move out of seeing our present circumstances and seeing the glory of who God is. But how does that happen? Where does it rest? I think Romans 8 sums it up for us well. In Romans 8, Paul talks about our future Glory, He says, For I consider that the suffering of these present times are not worthy comparing to the glory that will be revealed for us. For all of creation is eagerly longing to be revealed as the sons of God. That creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in the hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemptions of our body. For in this hope we were saved. What does that hope look like? What then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? No, in all things we know that we are more than conquerors of him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things coming, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our time should be a time that is spent receiving and seeking that love. Let me pray. Father, you are good, and all you do is good. Hold us as we wrestle with the future, as we wrestle with our past, as we wrestle with our present, knowing that you are above time, but you came into time as Christ in order to redeem us in this place right now. Jesus, it's in your name we pray.